Moines. The PSAs you hear on Miller & Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller & Condon live from the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Studios. This is 1460 KXNO. Hawkeyes, Cyclones, Panthers, and Bulldogs. Yeah, we got that covered. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon in Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. We'll head to San Diego, catch up with Scott Dockerman from The Athletic, covering the Holiday Bowl, and then likewise to Orlando with Alex Halstead. Uh, he's covering the Camping World Bowl, Ohio, Iowa State, and uh, Notre Dame. We'll get uh, Alex in here about 11.35. Right now, I think this is the first time... All year we've had Cappy live. Yes, that's uh, right. Cappy's taking the day off. But Finger not by it, the dump button. Yeah, not when it comes to <laughs> us. Cap, thank you for coming on. How are you, David Kaplan? Happy holidays. going on, boys? Good to talk to you. A lot of ground to cover. Of course, he's brought to us by Centurion Stone of Iowa. More about them coming up. Cap, uh, we're going to get to the White Sox because they have made a huge splash. But I want to start with, if you've turned on ESPN over the last week or so, uh, you're starting to see these promos, these previews of the 10-part series, The Last Dance, uh, on the uh, 1998 Chicago Bulls. Cap, I think it's going to be great for the country to watch this, but maybe more so in Chicago as you go back in the Wayback Machine. Uh, you have to be pumped up to watch this and to relive what uh, one of the magical moments in all of sports, I think, one of the magical eras. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I, I'm really, really excited. And the amazing thing is that as big as Michael and Scotty and Dennis Rodman were to us, you know, I've got people that I work with who are Gen Xers or Millennials or Gen Zs in some cases. Uh, you know, these younger people that go, yeah, I think LeBron's the best or right. Durant's the best. And I'm like, you guys have absolutely no concept of what it was like when Michael Jordan was playing and how good he was. No disrespect to LeBron James at all. It's not even close. First of all, first of all, LeBron James has lost how many times in the finals? Michael Jordan never, ever lost a final. And if there was a shot to be taken at the end of a game, you wanted the ball in Michael mm-hmm. Jordan's hands more than anyone else in the history of the sport. So it amuses me to see how out of touch some people are that Michael isn't the greatest. Uh, he is, has been, always will be. So now are you guys going to work on something special those 10 days leading up to it, either recapping or previewing what you're going to see? It's got to be something. It's going to be huge here. I think Ken and I already know that here, and we're hours away from Chicago. But what it's going to be like in a time where you're always searching for topics that are in the middle of June. Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll talk about it. You know, it's just kind of understood. Like We don't really discuss Michael Jordan and all of that now. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of... We lived it. I mean, it was just freaking amazing to have, you know, that guy, like, to come home on a random Tuesday night, and you didn't have to think, what am I going to do tonight? Oh, the Bulls are playing. And we're talking about, like, the Beatles. That's what they Mm -hmm. were. They were that big. And for people that don't understand the Beatles, just pick the biggest of the biggest of the biggest. I mean, what, what is, like, the number one thing today and that's how big the Bulls were times 10. It was great. No, it really was. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, Cap, of course, you're going to be talking a lot of White Sox. 
Uh, Cap, I'm blown away by what this franchise has done. And, you know, they, they kept kind of floating it out there that we're close. We're going to, we're going to go forge. Be patient. Be patient. Well, it seems as though that patience for that fan base is paying off. Cap, they can't spend their money fast enough. I like the moves that they've made. What have they done to maybe cut into this? I mean, it's always going to be a Cubs town. I get that. Well, Bears, Cubs. Uh, but baseball wise, Cubs are always going to be number one. But those White Sox that have been kind of, you know, sitting in the background and being quiet, they're about to be heard from. From, in my opinion, they've been active. Oh, they've been sensational. There's no question that they're going to be heard from and people are excited. But let's not also forget that in 2005, 2006, the White Sox won the World Series and then followed that up with 92 wins the next year, and the Cubs were horrific, and it never switched. It never became even close to a White Sox town. So, yeah, it's... It's awesome, and I'm, I work at a station that that's our main property because mm-hmm. they're on 162 times a year, and I hope to God that they have a great run. I do. It's great for business. My brother's a diehard White Sox fan, so I hope all that happens. But let's just pump the brakes, and let's just see how this all plays out. So will you be, Cap, will you be uh, pinch-hitting at all? I mean, obviously the Cubs are no longer there. We know that the role that you played with the Cubs in pre and post and how much that meant to you, and you enjoyed it. Well, that's not going to be in your life going forward. Will you be doing any pre and post for the White Sox, or has that been determined yet? Uh, that I don't think I will be. I mean, no, that was never approached or discuss when I did my deal, I'll be doing shows from White Sox Park, like Sports Talk Live and things like that. But, no, I was never asked. That's Chuck Garfine's yep. gig. And that, no, I don't see any – now, again, if he gets sick and I get a phone call, like, could you fill in today? Of course. I'm a team guy. I'll do whatever they want. But I don't see a scenario where – David Kaplan is the White Sox pre and post game host. No. Cap, uh, they did it. The Cubs went out and finally got Ryan Tapera. I mean, it's all set up now. It's happening. The Cubs uh, looking at another champ. Now, we know that the financial constraints continue to be a big topic. What's the latest? And as we get ready to flip the calendar to 2020, Chris Bryant continues to be at the forefront of a lot of Cubs fans' minds. What's going to happen with him? Who did you say we signed? Ryan Tapera. Never heard of him. No, I'm kidding you. I, I know he pitched for the um, Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah. Look, they've gone out, and I think, to be honest with you, I think it's embarrassing. Yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure, just like Sox fans were criticizing Rick Hahn a week ago, going, what do you mean we can't sign you? Just be patient. Pump the brakes. Let's see what they do by the time we get to Mesa, Arizona, and Glendale, respectively. That was what I said to you guys on the air a week ago. Let's just see what they do when they get to spring training. So I'm not going to crush them till they get there. If Ryan Tapera or <laughs> Daniel Winker or these other guys that none of us have ever heard of, if those guys are the extent of their offseason and they also divest themselves of generational talent simply in the name of economics, yeah, yeah, I will crush them. Crush them. That is embarrassing. That is a joke. But I am going to withhold those harsh criticisms to 
until I see what they do. Hmm. Uh, we'll get to the harsh criticisms of the Bears in a second, but just now, Nicholas Castellanos, are you surprised that he hasn't signed anywhere, Cap? And what are you hearing? I mean, there was buzz he's going to sign with the Southsiders. I don't know where they're going to find the money for him, but the, that talk is out there. What are you hearing on Castellanos, and you're surprised that he's still out there? Uh, I'm not surprised because I think he wants crazy money. And, you know, why shouldn't he? They, they all, people are spending money, so why shouldn't he expect to be able to get some of that loot as well? I get it. But I would be shocked. Where are the White Sox playing that guy now? I, I don't see any scenario where Nicholas Castellanos ends up with the White Sox. I don't. If it happens, uh, amazing for them. But I don't see that happening. Or the Cubs cap. Cup, that's a long shot, do you think? they got to move some guys, right? Now, if you tell me that they move Chris Bryant and they move you know, something else off the roster, yeah, I guess that, that's certainly a possibility. But I just, unfortunately, it, they're in a place where, and I'm not saying they should go over the luxury tax. I'm not saying that by any stretch of the imagination because if you don't feel you can win, then I'm cool with them staying under the luxury tax. That's fine. But to not do anything, that's why I'm going to withhold judgment. I cannot believe that's where we're going to be. Well, the Bears are a team that did something. They went out and got Khalil Mack after drafting Mitchell Trubisky. It obviously has not been the two years that they wanted. I I was telling Ken, after watching the game uh, Sunday night against the Chiefs, they cut to Ryan Pace, and they're just something, as a fan, just taking my analytical hat off and being a fan, I just was frustrated just looking at the guy up there in the box. What's going to happen? Is Ryan Pace fine? Is Matt Nagy fine after year number two of him? What's going to happen, if anything, this offseason? I'll be surprised if those guys get whacked. I will. I wouldn't do that if I was the owner. Now, I'll tell you, my brother, my brother has said to me, oh, I would absolutely move on these guys. It's not going to work, so what do you gain by waiting? I'm not to that point yet. I'm not where he is and where other fans are. Because when you make a change of that proportion, we're talking GM and head coach and all that, you have sent not only shockwaves through your fan base, but, okay, now we're going to start changing scouts because everybody wants to bring in their own people. And now we're changing scheme. And now we're saying, well, hold on a second. Now we want to get rid of Mitch, too. Okay, where are we getting the money, then, to go get a guy to replace Mitch to win? And all of a sudden you wake up two years later and you're the Giants, who apparently are going to move on from Pat Shermer. And prior to moving on from Pat Shermer, they had a guy who didn't even last two years in uh, Ben McAdoo. And so you become this wayward ship that's just kind of listing out there. The only way to be successful is to stay committed to your plan and executing your plan. Look, this team was 12-4 and four a year ago. Maybe it was a bit of smoke and mirrors because they had – an easier schedule. I'm not ready to cut bait on the quarterback. I'm not ready to cut bait on the coach. I do think they need to upgrade play calling. They do need to make some moves to get a better offensive line and a better tight end that can catch passes in the passing game. But to blow it all up, yeah, that, that's not me. Yeah, I'm not there. Mm-hmm. Copy, great stuff. Well, we are off Tuesday and Wednesday, so I'll reach out for an alternative date that fits your schedule uh, for this time next week. Thank you, Copy. Appreciate well, it. It right. always works for you guys because I love being out with you. And vice versa, Cap. Uh, thank you, buddy. Uh, we won't talk to you in all likelihood before the new year, but right after that. So happy new year, Cap.
Happy healthy to you and to all your great listeners. I love being a part of you. Thanks, Cap. Take care. Have a, have a great day. David Kaplan joining us from Chicago. Centurion Stone of Iowa makes it possible for us. Thank you, Joe Farron. Uh, thank you, Justin Luch and the company over there, the fine folks uh, at Centurion Stone of Iowa. If you're in the market for manufactured or natural stone to accent or update your exterior or your interior project of any size, Centurion Stone, a variety of styles, patterns, and colors to meet your every need. Check them out online, Centurion Stone of Iowa, or visit them in their show showroom 5525 Northeast 22nd Street in Des Moines. Centurion Stone of Iowa sponsors David Kaplan. Off we go to San Diego, California Dreaming with Scott Dockerman. Nexus Trent and I continue on Des Moines Sports Station 1460. I'm a dream builder. It's 24 hour sports, morning, noon and night here on 1460 KXNO. Alright, welcome back Miller and Con to Des Moines Sports Station 1460 KXNO. 15 minutes or so we'll head to Orlando catch up with Alex Halstead, preview the Camping World Bowl. Iowa State and Notre Dame right now. Let's head to San Diego. Before we do that, we should tell you sound off is boy, the boys are going to be busy. Petey and of course Travis Justice, Ross Peterson, Travis Justice. They're going to do two hours prior to the Hawkeye radio network tomorrow afternoon. Yep. And then after the game and the Hawkeye Radio Network wraps up, Travis and Ross are going to take calls on WHO. Nice. So that's got to be what? 11 o'clock, 11.30 they'll get Probably, on the air? Probably, yeah. So pre and post sound off to bring the curtain down. Scott Dockerman's in San Diego, where the sun always shines, except when... <laughs> Iowa visits. <laughs> really. Doc, what's going on? How are you, Scott Dockerman? Good to speak with you. Yeah, and Merry Post-Christmas to both of you, and uh, yeah, everything's good. The sun actually is shining, which is a good sight here. It's been kind of off and on uh, and, and through the duration of being in San Diego, but uh, the temperatures are about the same, so none of those jealous uh, you know, tweets and, and uh, texts back from Iowa about the weather, you know, oh, I bet you'd love it there. Well, it's the exact same as what you have in Des Moines and Iowa City. It's unbelievable. Yeah, 61 for a high here yesterday was just I mean, set an all-time record. Well, Doc, your, your piece uh, kind of going in-depth uh, on the, you know, 44-4 and four in the last five years when Iowa uh, rushes for more than 100 yards. I mean, Doc, that's crazy, that number. And then conversely, when they don't, it's as bad as you would have seen. Seems pretty simple, right? If the Hawks can rush for 100 yards, they're bringing a trophy home. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of been the hallmark. Uh, yeah. You know, in fact, uh, other than, I think it was last year where it kind of got skewed a little bit. It was like an eight and three record or something like that. But, but really, it's it's pretty spot on. Even when Iowa gets like 101 yards and rushes for 3.1 yards per carry, it just means that they're dictating the pace and the tempo, and they're able to kind of sustain drives. But but if it's 30 carries for 79 yards, they're not getting enough out of their offense. They're punting more often, and, and they're not controlling the pace and tempo, and they absolutely have to in this game. So I think getting to 100, maybe 120, you know, or even higher is more of an optimum number against this team because they are such a quick strike team and, and very good on offense. So, uh, you know, that is, but that is the, the hallmark. Get to 100, and you got to like your chances if you're a Hawkeye. Doc, we've been talking a lot about the run game and can it be fixed, can it be salvaged mm-hmm. of what I was trying to do with his own blocking scheme. So, a couple of pieces here. One, Kirk Soraka leaving for Minnesota for Penn State, what he's done, kind of that power spread look. Without a quarterback that can run it real well. Any elements possibly coming to Iowa with that? And then the, the second part is running the football in today's environment and the way that you have to do it. 
Iowa, are they more of a passing game than a running game, a running team anymore? <laughs> well, that's a lot of lot to work with there, Trent. Um, <laughs> Wide guess, open for first you. First of all, yeah, uh, Kirk Staraka uh, did a tremendous job uh, at Western Michigan and Minnesota. He's going to continue to do that at uh, Penn State. I think that's where you, you know. I think Penn State and Minnesota were you know blood brothers when it comes to their offensive schemes. You know, both with uh, Joe Moorhead and and you know under James Franklin at Penn State and what PJ Fleck has done and. And I think he'll continue that trend there. I don't think there's going to see a lot of, you know, either drop off and maybe even an enhancement over the last year or two. So uh, that's a really good move there. Iowa's not built for that. That's not exactly Iowa style. That, you know, maybe in the future under a different coach that would be. But, uh, you know, Deuce Hogan, who's coming into town, he's not necessarily a pro style or, uh, you know, a quarterback built for for that. He's not Brock Purdy in, in his mechanics and makeup, but he's very good at what he does. Same thing with Spencer Petras. So I'd expect them to keep a similar style of offense. Now, if you're looking about the difference between, say, zap, gap and zone, yeah, there's uh, you know there, there's a case to be made that with Iowa that they need to go a little bit heavier with, with gap. I, I've, I've been a proponent of that because I think that what we've seen is a change on the defensive side of the ball that makes you want to do that. When Kirk came to town and had the zone, yes, it was a perfect offense for the Big Ten in that point because Big Ten defenses were 4-3 with a 250-pound sledgehammer at linebacker, and if you could make sure your front front wall was more athletic than their front seven, you had an incredible advantage. Well, now you're seeing 4-2-5s, 3-3-5s, other types of defenses that are quicker, more agile, and they cut those gaps. It's hard to to really block his zone, especially when you got a 300-pounder. You might as well pound at him. So I think that's what Iowa needs to really concentrate on. But I, I would say for a whole-scale change, the way Minnesota operates or Penn State, no, I, I think the only way that happens is if you get another head coach. Uh, Doc, I like Iowa a lot in this football game. It's They're a physical football team. Look, we've seen Iowa take on a pack. 12 team in the past. In fact, you don't have to go that back too many years, and it didn't go well. The the, the speed and the elusiveness of uh, of uh, one Christian McCaffrey was just too much to handle. But that's a different animal. We're talking about USC here team here, and yes, they've got some guys. I mean, Pittman is a star. Nafanga on the defensive side of the ball is a missile, and he's going to come. Uh, he's just going to blow you up if he gives you that opportunity. He's done that to a lot of guys. But Iowa's physical defense, I think, carries the day uh, to or the night, I guess, in this case, tomorrow night. Uh, I like Iowa a lot, Doc. What's kind of been the consensus from you know some of the uh, some of the stuff that you've read, some of your colleagues from around the athletic? Do they see it this way that uh, that Iowa's physical play um, and, and really a USC team that doesn't have? I mean, what's their identity? I'm not sure they have one. Yeah, their identity now is, is that of a of a full fledged passing offense, and it's uh, four wide receivers, the ten personnel. And they moved the ball down the field, and they certainly did that against UCLA with 515 yards. Four different receivers had 100 yards receiving. This is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is their hallmark. That is what wins them games. They're, but they're not necessarily spread, per se. They're just uh, wide open. And uh, it, it's, it's fascinating because you look at them. They're fifth in the country in pass offense. And it's a lot of the pressure is going to be put on Iowa's pass defense, both pass rush and then on the backside. With uh, they're they're going to go almost exclusively cash personnel, five D backs, possibly six for a lot of this. Because if you're going against four wide receivers this athletic, it's going to be a challenge on them. But on the other side, this is where Iowa's offense has to work in concert with the defense. And you know, people hated that phrase that when Kirk said, you know, uh, and Brian Ferentz said that the offense is there to protect the defense. That's 
absolutely true in this case. If you can sustain drive, if you can move the ball and, and power against them, you're going to have success. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at USC, there's two areas that really tip it in my, in my eyes towards Iowa. And I think most of the people have this as a very close game that could go either way is that number one is Iowa's plus six in turnover margin. USC is minus seven. USC does give the ball up quite a bit. Two, and perhaps more importantly, when you get in close games, Iowa's fourth in the country in penalties at 33 yards a game. USC's 124th at 71. So you've got a more disciplined team on the Iowa side of things, which means if it's third and five in the fourth quarter and it's a you know 24 to 20, they're not going to jump offside. They're not going to get a holding call, whereas USC might. So that's why I think it does tilt in Iowa's favor. I think it's a very very close game. But uh, and then you, you also have to look at uh, the the best kicker in the country on Iowa's right. side, who seems to remind me a lot of a of a kicker who's won a couple of games here in uh, in the Holiday Bowl twenty well, thirty plus years ago now. And Rob Houtland, he just seems to make big kicks whenever he's called upon. Hope that's the case. USC. One thing that I, I'm wondering, and I think you're going to know early on how much they want to be there. It's something you talk about seemingly every bowl game outside of the uh, semifinals anymore, but. As you've looked at USC, talked to some of the USC players and coaches, have you got anything at all? Eh, we're going to a Holiday Bowl. That's not the reason you go to USC is to play in San Diego. No, I haven't. Maybe their fans think that way. I'm mm-hmm. sure they do. I mean, it's, it's just down the coast for them, and it's probably like going to Detroit or something for <laughs> Iowa. But, but not, from the, not from the players. Not at mm-hmm. all from the players. They're very much energized. I mean, this is a team that didn't go to a bowl last year. You know, they won eight games. They beat their rival, US, UCLA, and, and uh, had, you know, kind of finished strong. They were uh, very much energized and, in, in, um, you know, in, in every engaged in every opportunity I've seen them. So I expect them to be very much uh, engaged and excited in this game. So I know there's that thought that, oh, they're not excited either. Well, you know, they were five and seven last year. They're eight and four now, and they're playing against the Big Ten team on national television on a Friday night. I think they are exciting. Now, if they were in, uh, let's say, the Sun Bowl, <laughs> you know, that might that might change things a little bit. But in this case, no, I, I fully expect them to, you know, playing against the ranked team to be uh, to be very excited for this game. I know you've got a, uh, an appointment coming up with Clay Helton. Well, the media has an appointment with Clay Helton and Kirk Ferentz. We'll only keep you a couple more minutes. Talk your piece today. Uh, the quarterback sneak for Iowa really has been unstoppable this year. And to the point where I wonder, I ask myself why they, they don't use this more often. Uh, because you can't, you, you can't stop it, especially when Stanley gets help from behind. Uh, they're going to move, uh, Linderbaum and company. You're going to open a hole for him. And Stanley's so darn big. And he gets a little push from behind. That's three or four yards seemingly waiting to happen. But I want to go to Nate Stanley. Uh, more than just the quarterback sneak. It's his final game. Doc, I'm openly rooting for number four. I hope he goes out with a bang tomorrow. I really do. He's kind of been, not maligned, but, you know, a guy that starts three years and has an opportunity to win all these bowl games, I don't think gets the credit that maybe he deserves, and I'm convinced he will once he's gone. Yeah, you're right. And uh, I wrote a piece about that, and I had to go through arguments that people think that Stanley is just an average quarterback, but I would argue that, you know, without a running game um, for the Lions' share of his career, at least the last two years, uh, he's been better than average. And, and you look at his numbers, you know, red zone numbers, 45 touchdowns, one interception in the red zone. Now he had 37-1 and one going into this year because he had great tight ends. Right. Doesn't, you know, right now, you know, look at what Stanley's had to do without any tight end support. You know, in the red zone, they've had two catches for 12 yards. 
I mean, Hawkinson and Fant combined for 20 touchdowns Jeez. in the red zone. So he has had to have just, you know, it's, it's really until you see those numbers, you go, wow, that is incredible. So you're going to largely without a running game, without tight ends near the goal line, and you're still making plays, and you've still got a team that's 9-3 and three and going lost three games by 14 points. tells me a lot about this quarterback and his toughness. And so uh, I think he is, he's been a very good quarterback. Sure, he didn't get Iowa to Indianapolis. He didn't get Iowa to, New Year, uh, to a major bowl or, or the Rose Bowl or what have you. But I think uh, people will appreciate him longer term because it, it is kind of funny to me the way people hold Stanzi up as some as uh, you know a very good quarterback. And I think he was. But you know, people forget in that 2009 season he was he threw 15 interceptions and five pick sixes. Yep. That was striking. So Stanley hasn't done anything like that. And uh, you look at what he did in that Nebraska game late. Uh, that was impressive to me. So I, I think he should get his just due. And if he pulls out a win here, um, I don't want to hear any arguments. I think he's a very good quarterback. Last thing from me, Doc, and uh, as we have the new redshirt rule, the second year of it, we've seen some manipulation, keeping those guys under that threshold. With guys that can play up to four games, are there any ones that have a game in their back pocket you expect to be out there? Maybe some guys getting healthy. Uh, Merriweather certainly jumps to the forefront of my mind with that. Any new additions, some new faces we might see out there for the bowl game? You know, you might see them on special teams, but you probably won't see them playing much on, on defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, the short window that they had to prepare for this game from the really late regular season to the late bowl selection to the really early game. They didn't. They really didn't have a chance to have a lot of Iowa versus Iowa practices. I think they totaled four before they really mm. started preparing for USC. So they really didn't even get their 15 in. And that was kind of a shame for Iowa. I just think that uh, you, you might see uh, Merriweather or Brent or somebody like that on, on uh, kickoff, uh, the kickoff team or something like that. But you just... I, I think they're going to be held under wraps, and uh, you know, going forward, it's going to be you know what can they do next year in the spring and, and beyond. So I don't think we're right now we're looking at a lot of red shirts, uh, you know, seeing extra time. Scott Dockerman from the Athletic on the ground, San Diego to cover the Holiday Bowl. Uh, Helton Ferentz press conference coming up. I'm sure we'll see a lot about that on Twitter and read Doc's recap of that and more at the Athletic. Thank you, Scott Dockerman. Travel safe coming home. Talk to you early next week. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Uh, From California to Florida, let's get the Iowa State perspective on things. Alex Halstead's been with the team, I think, longer than anybody. Him and Montz got out there before the team did, for crying out loud. (laughs) It's tough to do. Those guys did it. They certainly did. Uh, We'll talk to Alex Halstead next as Trent and I take you till noon on Des Moines Sports Station 1460.org today. KXNO in your pocket with iHeartRadio on your smartphone. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Apparently, Iowa State and Notre Dame have sold out of all of their allotment of tickets. Lower Bowl is completely sold out. Mm. They've had to open a uh, upper deck, and uh, going to be a good uh, number of people at the Camping World Bowl. I'm assuming, and we'll get Alex Halstead in here from Cyclone Alert, part of 24/7 Sports. Uh, I'm guessing today that the Cyclone fans will begin to descend upon Orlando. Been pretty quiet up until this time, uh, Alex. But assuming you know, as of today, that's about to change. Yeah, I think most most people are probably thinking about traveling down here. Uh, the day after Christmas, so I think today, tomorrow, you're going to see kind of a flood of cardinal and gold uh, into Orlando. I saw an Iowa State hat last night, but that was probably about 
the most I've seen so far. So hmm. uh, it's been pretty quiet here in Orlando in terms of Iowa State fans. Uh, uh, but I think it's going to get pretty packed. Like you said at the top, uh, Iowa State sold out its 8,000 tickets. And talking to a Camping World Bowl rep yesterday, it sounds like uh, both schools sold out their allotments. Uh, the lower bowl is about 40,000 fans. They expect that to be full. And uh, they're starting to sell upper deck tickets. They said that uh, that's typically a good sign for a game here. Uh, that the years that they start selling the upper deck uh, is the years that they think they've done well attendance-wise. So the uh, the game, obviously, at the forefront, but any sunning and funning for you? Any Anything happening on that front? Not so far. I've mostly, um, I mean, I've been out to eat some different places <laughs> down here, uh, but haven't hit any of the, the theme parks or anything like that. So uh, might have to do that. Uh, I think I'm staying a day or so afterwards nice. um, to try to, find something to do since I'm down here, but uh, mostly so far just, just writing, but have had a chance to, uh, the last couple of days I've been writing my stories outside on the hotel patio. So it's, it's nice to be able to sit out there and near 80 degree weather. Well, I know that Halstead wasted two hours of his life. I mean, uh, Mont's wasted two hours of his life watching uncut gems on Christmas Eve. I hope you didn't make that mistake, but we'll save that. Um, just, let's get into the Good Jones situation. Julian Good Jones. The rumors came out over the pa- last weekend that uh, he's going to be suspended. Apparently, he's failed a test. Then you get down there, you hear from Campbell that he's banged up a little bit, and then you guys get to watch a little bit of practice. And he's not with the first team, but then the next day he is with the first team. If this is just a smokescreen, uh, man, Coach Campbell's going to a lot of trouble to f- try and f- uh, fool. Notre Dame to thinking that, you know, their starting left tackle, Iowa State starting left tackle, might not be able to play. Do you guys know anything more than anybody else not associated with the team uh, pursuant to the availability of Julian Good-Jones and what will be his final game? No, I don't think we know. We don't know for sure. I mean, we just know the speculation and then I guess what we've now been told and, and seen. I think, you know, the first thing, like you said, there were some message board rumors there on my message board. I think they were elsewhere. And so you don't always just take every message board rumor and kind of right. go and ask Matt Campbell about them. But, you know, some of them I think are worth asking about. And so we, we did ask about this one. He said uh, on, on Monday when uh, the team got here, he uh, told us, you know, the, the small group here that he's not suspended. Uh, he did tell us that he got dinged up against Kansas State. So he's obviously been dealing with some injuries. Uh, we were able to go to practice on Tuesday and Wednesday for about 15 minutes. He arrived on the first bus both days. Uh, did some work on the field, mostly with younger guys, but was you know there were some athletic trainers out there, um, so he was going through things with them. And then the the first day of practice, Tuesday, the offensive line we saw um, in the brief period we we're out there was uh, Josh Kniffel at left tackle and Colin Newell at right guard, and so that was kind of an indication, maybe whether it's injury or suspension or whatever it might be, that Julian Good Jones at least might be questionable. And then yesterday we were there for a short period of time, and Good Jones was at least with the first team for some period. So he's here. He's been working with the athletic trainers. He's been out in full pads on the field. But I think until Saturday at uh, noon Eastern here in 11 Central, I don't think we're, we're going to know for sure. Interesting uh, angle and perspective going back a decade ago. Brian Kelly, one of the candidates for the Iowa State job after Dan McCarney, uh, was asked to hang it up at the end of his coaching career with Iowa State. He was in the mix there in Reading at least the quotes from him, you can add a little bit of context actually hearing what he had to say. Your thoughts, perspective of, of what he said about, I don't really remember how, how close he was to that job. You buying it? No, he played it really <laughs> politically correct. I yeah. think he played it perfect you know, for how he probably has to. Uh, he said, you know, there's another job, too, that I was up for, and I can't remember what it was. No. Like, 
you don't probably interview with Power Five schools uh, coming from Central Michigan and not know what what right. schools you're <laughs> are in the mix. Uh, he did acknowledge that he interviewed with Jamie Pollard. He said he thought Pollard had a really good vision that he thinks that was come to fruition at Iowa State, um, but he didn't say how close he was. Obviously, part of the reason we asked that is ESPN had reported I think uh, November twenty sixth of that year that Brian Kelly was uh, via two sources going to be the the new head coach at Iowa State. Two days later, obviously. Uh, Iowa State hired Gene Chizik, and a few days after that, um, Brian Kelly went to Cincinnati, where he was there for three years and spent the last decade at uh, Notre Dame. So it's worked out for all parties when you look at what Matt Campbell's done now. It's taken Iowa State a couple more coaches to get to this point, uh, and obviously Brian Kelly's had success in Notre Dame. But interesting that uh, um, he almost maybe ended up at Iowa State uh, a while back and obviously could have changed the tra- tra- trajectory of, uh, I guess, several programs. What does uh, Brian Kelly have to say about John Haycock's defense? I know that was one of the takeaways that, uh, you know, one of the things that stuck with me from the early week press conferences. I think uh, you and Mons were the first two Iowa State media uh, on the ground in Orlando. You had some really good opportunities uh, to, you know, to speak with these guys. What did Kelly say about Haycock's defense that worries him? Well, he said it's maybe the most unique that he's, he said that, you know, because they're an independent, they play a lot of different schools. You know, they obviously have a, a pack with the ACC where they play, I think, five or six different ACC opponents every year, and those are rotating through them. You know, they, they have their rivalries, rivalries that they play every year, but he said, you know, in playing in recent memory, they've not played a defense that's maybe this unique, and so they've had to put a lot of extra work in. Obviously, Notre Dame's parted ways with its offensive coordinator, so, you know, that offensive staff, it sounds like he's been huddled trying to figure some different things out. You know, that three-three-five scheme, uh, can do a lot of different things. You know, Haycock can drop seven or eight guys, as we know, but uh, it's also possible he can bring some different blitzes. And so I think they've just been trying to figure that out because uh, Ian Book maybe has not seen that look uh, very often. I think on the flip side, Iowa State's dealing with the same thing. You know, Tom Manning told us that, uh, you know, the Big 12's pr- pretty much now, at this point in time, about 75% three-man front. They've not really faced a lot of four-man front, which is what Notre Dame's going to throw at them. And, you know, going back to the Julian Good-Jones factor, you add in, if Julian Good-Jones isn't playing, you have a combination of mixing up your, your offensive line for the first time since the I game and also going against a four-man front that you don't normally see, and that kind of could be worrisome. But, you know, that's kind of the thing on both sides. You know, Notre Dame's trying to figure out Iowa State's scheme, and Iowa State's trying to get ready for a four-man front. Yeah, very interesting uh, the way that possibly could play out and the differences of what these teams are going to see. Brock Purdy, his second bowl game. Go back to uh, what he saw a year ago. Sounds like he is relying on some of those experiences against Wazoo last season in the Alamo Bowl. Some rough patches throughout this season. The K-State game, there were some ugly stretches out of Brock Purdy. How do you expect him to bounce back? Yeah, I expect him to to play well, but I think a lot of it's going to be what kind of time can he get. You look at Notre Dame's. Uh, defense. They've only allowed 13 passing touchdowns this season in 12 games. Part of that is because their front seven, mm-hmm. particularly their defensive line, gets so much pressure. You know, they're tied for 38th nationally in sacks. Uh, they're averaging two and a half sacks a game. Iowa State's tied for 10th nationally in fewest sacks allowed. Uh, so those kind of things are going to come to a head. You know, how much time can the offensive line give Brock Purdy um, to sit in the pocket, but also to make his reads, or is he always under pressure and under duress? You know, I think the Kansas State game was hard to read into. He went 15 or 30 wasn't his best uh, completion percentage game at all. The win sounds like it was a big factor, but you know Tom Manning said regardless of when, uh, he thinks that was a, not a very well-coached or played game for Iowa State. So it's going to be interesting. He's bounced back before. We saw the Oklahoma State game. He threw three interceptions in that fourth quarter. The next week he threw five touchdowns against Oklahoma. You know We've seen him be able to bounce back, but you're right. He said the Alamo Bowl is a, a big kind of a learning experience for him because he said he kind of got caught up in the hype of, 
all the activities through the week and how big the game was. And he said it took him a few drives to get to shake that. You know, he went one of four to start that game uh, with two interceptions on his first couple drives. And then he ended up finishing the game 17 of 23 with 315 yards. So if he could have got past those first two drives against Washington State, I would say he probably wins that game. Uh, they outplayed them really most of that game except for two interceptions early that kind of cost them. So he thinks he's uh, a lot more confident. And he said he, he's kind of able to treat this more as just like a normal game, like a Texas Tech than he is treating us some big game that's a bull, bull opportunity. What's uh, left for you guys as far as media veils? We do, do Campbell and Kelly have a joint presser coming up today or tomorrow? Yeah, so that'll be the last thing. We've already been out today. Uh, they uh, did a joint thing with Iowa State and Notre Dame today out at a um, Andretti go-kart, and uh, they kind of bring in underprivileged kids and um, play games and go-kart with them uh, between the two teams. And we did some interviews with uh, a couple players today. And then the last thing is, until kickoff is tomorrow, the joint press conference early in the morning uh, with Brian Kelly and Matt Campbell. And so one last thing tomorrow, and then it's uh, kickoff uh, Saturday uh, leading into the college football playoff that night. Alex, I asked this to Scott Docterman with the USC perspective of things. A lot of people wondering how excited they are to be there. Have you got that uh, opinion from the Notre Dame side? I know at least the fan base not exactly excited for a Camping World Bowl. How about the players and coaches, though? Saying all the right things, I'd assume? Yeah, that's right. You know, I got I got sent five questions from our Notre Dame site at twenty four seven Sports, and one of them was that you know Notre Dame, or in terms of like the people around uh, South Bend, is you know they're not excited for the Camping World Bowl. This is a team that going into the season was one of the select teams that people thought could be in the college football playoff picture. This time last year, they were preparing for the college football semifinals, and they thought they could take another step this year. Um, and instead of the Camping World Bowl against the Iowa State team that you know. ESPN's FBI says they should have about nine wins, but they have seven and seven, and they're seven and five, and it doesn't look as appealing. So um, that's kind of the thought for sure from their fans. Uh, but the players are saying the right things. Brian Kelly said, you know, they're excited to be here, and anytime you have an opportunity to win 11 games, it's a big deal. I think the players were asked about that today, too, and they said it doesn't really uh, bother them with any of that outside noise. Is that the same kind of the same thing? I think that's kind of what Brian Kelly's message is. It's not every year that you win 11 games, and they still have an opportunity to do that. And whether it's Iowa State or whoever they would play or where they play, I think they're excited um, to try to beat Iowa State. Uh, Alex Halstead, CycloneAlert.com, 24-7 Sports. Alex, last thing, just back to good Joe. What does your gut tell you? You're around this team all the time. You've listened to uh, – you tried to um, you know, read between the lines or listen between the lines, if you will, decipher uh, Coach Campbell. What, what does your gut tell you about Good Jones? Is he playing or not? My guts kind of told me no, but then you see him out there practicing. They think if he's suspended, why is he out early with the trainers working through uh, through stuff? You know, he yeah. came in the other day and he's just he's all sweaty from working with the athletic trainer. It's like, would he be doing this if he says if you suspended or not going to play in what's his last game either way? You know, if he doesn't play, he's never going to play at Iowa State again. So I've kind of gone back and forth because of different scenarios that we've seen, but. Uh, you know, we know Matt Campbell is obviously going to kind of play with the, the chess game a little bit, so that's out there. I, I've leaned towards no, but I still think maybe there's a shot that there's some misinformation out there. I just I haven't heard for sure. Great stuff, Alex. Thank you. Enjoy your couple of days after the bowl game. We'll talk to you uh, later on next week uh, once you get back. Thank you, Alex. Yep, thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. Alex Halstead. 24-7 sports cyclone alert.com. I can't figure it out. No, no, I I don't think anybody can, right? I don't think he's playing. It would be my that's my that's my gut. Right. But boy, they're going to a lot of trouble to try and keep this under <sighs> Look, 
he was out there when the media, and mm-hmm. they're only allowed to watch the first 15 minutes. Right. As soon as they shuffle them out, you know, all right, it's over, get out. All right, get out of here. Right. Then what happens? We don't know. Did they just spray water on him so he looks like he's... Sw- <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past Campbell. He's gone through a lot of uh, trouble, seemingly, to keep this... Um, keep Notre Dame. He's a starting left tackle. He's played a lot. He's had a lot of starts. 49. Yes. Uh, and here's the thing about Notre Dame. I couldn't agree with you more. This is a, this is a trenches game. Mm-hmm. This is trenches. With the three three five in the stack, I mean, can we see early on Notre Dame just manhandle them up front? Because with Lima, he he is so good in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Just the way he occupies so much That's space. That's the key. He doesn't need to get to the point. He no. just needs to occupy a couple right. of guys. Right. I mean, you look at the numbers, and I, I had this argument with a, uh, with a Hawkeye fan one day. Why do you always talk about Ray, Ray Lima so oh, much? Oh, like, my God. <laughs> well, the guy had 28 to whatever mm-hmm. the number is. You have to watch the game. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, because you look at the numbers, you say, well, what, what's the big deal about this guy? His replacement next year might be more important than any other mm. position that we're looking at. Well, and they got that Bankston kid to come in and take that uh, uh, the JUCO that they're really high on. But mm-hmm. again, we're talking it's about Raylan. Right, absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing Will McDonald five, yeah. th- tomorrow. I want to see him because he's taking some major strides uh-huh. for in the month of November. August it was. The Bruce yes. Melvin article came out. Yes. We got all excited. Uh, he's not quite ready. Right. And then we forget about him, and all of a sudden, November. Light's going on, isn't it? Oh, boy. Yeah, light's now, going on. I mean, going from defensive end to linebacker, mm-hmm. back to defensive. He's a rush end. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. 100% right. That's They've got him in his is. right position. Well, in the Big 12, those guys are pretty important, aren't they? Yeah, I'll say. Uh, t- you know, it's a pretty good slate of games tomorrow. Pinstripe, it's okay. I mean, it's Michigan it's State, Wake first Forest. First Big 10 game, right? Mm-hmm. Okie State, I guess uh, Chubba's going to play. Mm-hmm. Against A&M. Who do you like in that game? you have any opinion? I like Oklahoma State. Do you? I kind of like do. A&M. Okay. Which has kind of been the way we've gone yes. all bowl season long. Uh-huh. I'm guessing you like USC because I like Iowa. I do. <laughs> uh, and then the uh, the finale uh, tomorrow night. That's going to be great. That, thing, that thing might end at 2.30. Who do you have in that one? Points. I took air for, oh, the points. Did you? Okay. The total 68. That's not enough. Yeah. That's not enough. This Boy, thing the, is going to the, be high uh, The Hawaii Bowl, they had like... They had the. It covered, like, in the first half, and the number was what sixty five. I think the total, and they had sixty three points scored in the first thirty minutes. That was a hell of a football game. Yeah, it really was. For a standalone on Christmas Eve, I was entertained and missed football yesterday. Well, a couple of games today, uh, and then a couple of things uh, to pass along. Murph and Andy coming up at two, and then of course the. Fanatics today at four. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, sound off is going to be a doubleheader of sound. Two hours before the Hawkeye Radio Network pregame, and then after the game, they'll be back on the air about eleven thirty. Yeah, right in that range. Hawkeye fans happy or into upset? the wee hours of the morning. You can vent or you can gloat. <laughs> with Travis Justice and Ross Peterson. We're back tomorrow. Thanks for being here. Morning Rush will start off a Friday on 1460 KX.